know, does this class, so today I'm standing in, I will next week as well. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning, and what I wanted to do was, <clears throat> I want to address a issue that's been in the news very frequently in the last few weeks, and really provide a biblical perspective. So I'm going to just get right into it this morning, rather than all the introductory pleasantries, because I've got a lot to cover in about 30 minutes of time. So I want to make sure we look at what the Bible has to say. So the LGBTQ movement and sex and gender issues have become a very divisive issue in our culture, in our society. And it's important that as Christians, we don't just have a cultural response, but we are people that follow Christ. We are people of the Word of God, it's important that we think through these kinds of things biblically. What does God's Word have to say? And so I want to take some time this morning and help us uh, work through that uh, by, with God's help and by God's grace. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll ask God to help us this morning as we address this topic. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for the time that we have today. Lord, we thank you for our church and the ability to gather this morning Lord, I pray that you would give us clear thinking. I pray that you would help us to look at what the scriptures say and apply it to our hearts and help us to make sense of the world around us and the, uh, the struggles that people have and the issues that people deal with in their lives. So, Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us, give us understanding, give us wisdom, give us compassion. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, even in my lifetime, the way that the church has responded to this particular issue has tr- changed dramatically. Um, even when I, when I was a child, it was, very, uh, it, it was something that, yes, was a hot topic, and churches would just come out and make a statement. Well, this is the way it is, and et cetera. And now we've seen full circle where some churches even uh, embrace and support and try to make a case that, Uh, Scripture actually supports an LGBTQ lifestyle. So what does the Bible actually say? Let's take a look at it, and and we'll discuss a Christian understanding of sex and gender this morning. So I'd like you to begin, and there's a lot of Scripture, so if you want to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to turn to these Scriptures pretty quickly. We, We have provided most of the Scripture right on the screen, so you can follow along as well as in your handout. So Look, first of all, with me at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 and 6. Colossians 4, 2 and 6. Gideon, do you have the, the, there we go. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of, what's the word say? Utterance. What does that mean? What does utterance mean? Speaking. What to say. Paul says, I want you to pray for me that I will know what to, what? What to what to say. I need to know what to say. To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. That I may make it manifest, not just what to say, but as I, what's it say? As I ought to speak. What should I say? How should I say it? And then look at verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Now what does that mean? Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Who are those that are without? Right, the non-Christian world. 
And what he says here is, Christians, it's not enough for us just to stand up and to say, well, I believe the Bible, this is what I believe, you know, take it or leave it. We're actually supposed to approach the world with, from what frame of mind? With what? With wisdom. With wisdom toward those that are without, redeeming the times. Now look at verse number six. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer who? Every man. See, it's important not just for us to know what we believe, but it's important for us to know how we should communicate those beliefs, how we should communicate the Bible to the world around us. So I'd like to talk this morning in this, about this topic, really in walking in wisdom. We're talking about Christian thinking. And when it comes to the Christian view of sex and when it comes to the Christian view of gender, it's important that we think through these things. Now, we're gonna do, I'm going to do this in four areas this morning. All right, so just track with me here. There's going to be four ways that we're going to think about this. First, I want to look at it theologically. What does the Word of God say? Secondly, I want to look at, look at it scientifically. And most of you realize I am not a scientist. Is that shocking news this morning? I, didn't, I don't think it is for most of you. So that's probably where I'll spend the, the least amount of my time. And then we will speak about it culturally and then compassionately. And so we're going to use that framework to think through this today. So I'd encourage you to take some notes, be fully engaged. First of all, let's think about it theologically. What does the Word of God say about sex and gender? Well, the first thing I want you to notice is that there is a created order. There is a created order. You notice what the Bible says in Genesis 1 and verse number 27. Genesis 1 and 27. Why don't we read it out loud? It's early it's early in the morning. Let's get ourselves engaged together. Ready? Genesis 1.27, begin with me. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So we see that there is an order from the very beginning of creation. Now, you say, oh, well, that's Old Testament. That's in the book of Genesis. Let's go to the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. Jesus says in Mark 10, 6 through 9, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. So we see both in the book of Genesis and in the words of Jesus, because some people will say, well, Jesus didn't really say anything about this, but indeed he did. And he explains the created order from the beginning that God created male and female. The purpose of the distinction in the sexes, what Jesus says in verses seven and eight, what was, you tell me, what was the purpose for the distinction of male and female? What's, what's the purpose of it? You can look back at verses 7 and verse 8. What's God's purpose in creating this distinction? There's the one flesh relationship in marriage. It's marriage. The, the, the point of God's created order is marriage. So that is the order. That is the way things are. Now, I saw an interesting quote. and Let's see if you can tell me what the, what the trouble with this quote was. 
I saw an interesting quote as I was preparing this, and it had the, as would be expected, it had the rainbow flag, and it was actually a group that was trying to use the scripture to support this, this viewpoint. And so in the, in the, um, in the quote, it said this, that we should celebrate this because God saw everything that he made and it was what? It was good. And that was being applied to the LGBTQ movement. What is the problem with that, that thinking? What, what is the problem with that? What is completely discounted? <laughs> what is that? What do you mean by that? Exactly. This is before. So God's, God's view of all of creation as good was before the fall of man, before sin entered into the world. Now, as a consequence of sin entering into the world, the consequence of sin entering into the world, God has a created order. But we could say, we could say, and it would be completely accurate, that sin brought what? If God had a created order, sin brought disorder into the world. And that's the reality. We live with all kinds of disorder and brokenness all around us. There are things in their natural sense, in their natural state, that are not the perfect order that God created. The reality is, the reality is that the world we live in is marred, it's broken, and we all, in our lives, how many of you have noticed that, how many of you didn't take you very long to realize you had some disorderedness in your life? We all do. So there are, there is a disordered reality. Now, particularly in the context of sex and gender, the Bible actually teaches us that we should expect to see this disorder even in this part of our, of this part of our existence. In fact, what I want to show you is three passages that, that, sh that show us that these issues that we're facing today, and you, we've, read, we've heard a lot about the Disney organization in the, in the news this past week, and we see the, uh, the entertainers and the different viewpoints on this. But this is not anything new. In fact, it's been around, this, this sexual disorder, gender disorder, has been around for millennia. In fact, it's even mentioned in the Bible. If you notice in the law, in the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 22, verse number 5. Deuteronomy 22, 5. The woman, this was one of the laws that was written, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Even in the days of Israel, there were some that expressed a desire. They had a desire to identify not with their own gender, but with the opposite gender. So this is not anything new. Move on, Romans chapter 1 and verse 26 and verse number 27. Speaking of the case of uh, the disorder in the world, the Bible says this, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Now to use the words that I'm using, the ordered use for the disordered use. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men working with men, Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. So this is addressed. So this is addressed in the New Testament. Paul addresses it in the book of Romans.
But now, in the book of Romans, he's talking about the greater world, just the whole world around. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually addresses it in the church. So we find this in the Old Testament, in the Jewish, uh, the nation of Israel. We find it, Paul speaking about what has happened to the world and the disorder of sin. And now we're going we're gonna to see it in 1 Corinthians 6 in the church. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, the Bible says this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Now, these last two categories, and we need to see that they're all in the same category. That's important. Fornication, heterosexual, adultery, heterosexual. But also now he says, effeminate or abusers of themselves with mankind. If you look at the Greek there, you would find that our King James has... has um, kind of pacified the language a little bit for, or made it as polite as possible. These are these two words, effeminate and abusers of themselves with mankind. Those words specifically refer to the active and passive participants in a homosexual relationship. That's literally, that's what these are, those two words mean. I say that because the Bible speaks explicitly about this. And the Bible teaches not that these are worse sins, but that they are indeed sins. So in, in the biblical sexual ethic, for a man to be unfaithful to his wife, or a wife to be unfaithful to her husband, or for someone to engage in any kind of premarital or extramarital sex, is, is just as sinful as for someone to engage in homosexual sexual activity. They're all Sinful before God, as the Bible explains very clearly. But what's interesting, if you study the First Corinthians passage, is this. If you read further, we're not going to do it this morning, but if you read further, Paul says to the church, and such were some of you. He tells the church. The church in, the church in Corinth, study the passage, it was made up of people that they, were, they, they had all kinds of sexual immorality in their lives. Some of the members in the church at Corinth were, were formerly former adulterers. Some of the folks in the church in Corinth formerly practiced what we would in modern day refer to as an LGBTQ lifestyle. But it says, this is what you were, but you've been washed. You've been cleansed. You see, the Bible expects us to deal with these things. We, we've come past, I think, in... In the, last, in the last 20 years, the church has gone from you know, shock at these things that we see around us to, I think, a more accurate understanding that these things have always been with us. Even the Bible speaks of it in multiple areas. So, you're following with me theologically here as how do we understand? So, what is going on? So, there's a created order, but sin brings disorder. It's a created order, but sin brings disorder into our lives. But what about this? What about disordered development? What about the statement, but, Ethan, you need to understand, I was born this way. I was born this way. Do we have a Christian answer for that? Of course we do. Does the Bible, does the, should we expect, knowing what we know about the Bible and theology, should we expect people to be born 
with disordered desires. Of course we should. And that's something I think we need to understand. For someone to say, well, if someone came, and there may be even someone in here, young or old, and you say, you know what, I've struggled with this. You know, I know I'm a man, but I have had sexual desires for a man. Or I have struggled with my gender. It's perfectly possible that someone has struggled with that from the time they were a child. Why? Because sin brings disorder into the world. Just like I've struggled with all kinds of things in my life. You may have struggled with things that says, you know what, I just, I, I know what the Bible says, but I don't feel that way. Why? Is everything about us, as, a, as what do we understand about, about the scripture? Are we to expect ourselves to be whole or broken? Broken. Born into this world, we're all broken. We're just broken in different ways. So, there are physical disorders. There are emotional disorders. We, if people can be born with physical disorders, why can they not be born with psychological or emotional disorders? Are you, are you following with me here, what I'm saying? Because there was a time where I would be in church as a young person and someone would, and someone would very ignorantly and uncompassionately say, nobody's born that way, it's a choice. That's a very uncompassionate thing to say to someone because they're struggling with something internally. Just like, and again, I don't want to belabor this point, but the, the emphasis is this, all of us are born with something in our life disordered. It could be, it, it could be physical, it could be mental, it could be emotional, it could be sexual. But does that mean we embrace the disorder? Do we embrace the disorder? The point of Christ in the gospel is that he can take what is disordered and he can redeem it. He can rescue us. So, let's move on. In fact, Jesus, the whole born this way, Jesus actually addresses it. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. I'd like you to look at a little bit longer passage. I want you to follow through this with me. Okay? So we're not saying being born this way means I embrace it. No. I can be born with sinful desires. But we do understand that there are unique struggles to unique individuals. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 19. <clears throat> There's a discussion with Jesus and his disciples about marriage, about sex, about divorce, and about gender. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them what? Male and female. And said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So Jesus again is quoting from Genesis. And in verse 6 he says, he explains again, wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And so now they start to ask him about divorce. They say, well then why did Moses give the writing of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus says to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So Jesus is saying, my plan was, was for marriage to be forever. Well, what about divorce? Well, Jesus says that was not our plan from the beginning. Now the disciples are just, because they lived in a divorce culture. There's a lot of divorce going on in this culture. And now the disciples are just like, they're having a hard time with this. 
And Jesus says in verse 9, I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, that means divorce his wife, except it be for fornication and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. Whoa, Jesus says God takes sexual behavior very seriously. His disciples say unto him, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it's good not to marry. They're like, they're like, wait a minute. The disciples say, wait a minute. If God takes marriage and, and sexuality so seriously, the, the disciples are trying to figure this out. And they, often they blurt out like their solutions. You know, like, okay, so maybe we just shouldn't get married then. And that's not actually the solution. However, now Jesus uses this to address the idea of Christian celibacy. This is very interesting. This is something that, that needs to come up more in the discussion of sexuality and gender. Jesus says in verse 11, all men cannot receive this saying. In other words, what I'm about to say isn't for everyone. But, save to they to whom it is given. Verse 12, for there are some eunuchs, which were so born from their mother's womb. Now, the term eunuch is an ancient term. It's an ancient term for often for someone, someone who is, has, well, they've been rendered impotent. They, their, their sexuality has been removed from them. And this was very common in ancient times. It was, it was pretty brutal. In, in pagan kingdoms and whatnot, they would do this to their slaves sometimes. They would, they would castrate their male slaves. It's, it's uncomfortable, but this, is, this was the world that they lived in. But Jesus says this. He uses the term eunuch to refer to, to those that don't have the typical gender identity or sexual identity that we would think of. And look what they say. There are some eunuchs which were so what? Born. In other words, there are people that are born with the inability to have sexual relations. Now, is, is, that's just part of the disordered physical world that we live in, that sometimes people are born without the ability. But then he says this, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. That's the barbaric practice that I was referring to earlier in ancient times. But now Jesus gives a third category. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs. And I don't think this means in a physical sense, but in a self-control sense. Have made themselves eunuchs for what? For the kingdom of heaven's sake. So they forego their sexual expression for what reason? For the kingdom's sake. For the sake, of, for the sake of the gospel. Now Jesus says, this saying isn't for everyone. This saying isn't for everyone. But there are some who, who I believe God has called to a life of celibacy. And so I think as you understand, well, what does the Bible say? What is the, what is the solution for, for someone who'd say, you know, you'd say, Ethan, listen, and there's many books that have been written on this. I just, I just finished one by Sam Albury this week. I would encourage you to, if you'd like a copy of it, I mean, the title is slipping my mind right now, but an excellent, oh, it is, Is God Anti-Gay? Excellent, compassionate book that expounds on this topic far better than, than I can. 
But making the point and the emphasis and the encouragement to those who you may be a Christian, you may be a Christian that says, listen, from the time I was young, I have struggled with with same-sex attraction or I have struggled with gender identity, I've struggled with what is the answer for me? Well, in the counsel, from the counselors that I've listened to, and I'm not, I'm not an expert, so I always try to step back on this, I believe that the answer would be for those Christians, one of two things. One, pray that God would reorder your desires. Nothing wrong with that, and God has done that for many people, reorder their desires. But for some Christians, they would tell you they prayed for that, but God did not choose to answer that prayer. So the second solution would be to live as Jesus described, a eunuch for the kingdom, or a celibate life for the glory of God. But you see, our culture has made everything about sexuality. As if if you cannot be, like your whole identity is wrapped up in in, in sex. What a sad way to describe any human being. It, it would be sad to reduce, for me to be reduced to, well, I'm a, what is the word now? I'm a cisgendered, heterosexual man. Is that who I am? No, that's not who I am. More about that in a minute. But do you see what our culture has told us? At the one, on the one hand, our culture has told us that sex is everything. But then they've said, well, sex is nothing. You can do it with whenever, who, well, which is it? Is it everything or is it nothing? Biblically, sex is just part of our identity. It does not define us. Just think about it for a minute. What about those who experience tragic accidents or illnesses in their lives? Because they cannot have, and I'm speaking really bluntly today, but I think that helps us. Because a person cannot have sex physically, does that make them less of a person? Of course not. But our culture has has made the whole conversation about sex and sexual expression when that's just a part of our identity. Would would we define people by any other physical? We're told we're not supposed to define people by physical features. We're not supposed to say, well, that's a black person. That's a white person. We've been taught, on the one hand, don't don't identify yourself by physical features. And then on the other hand, we're told, but two. So there's this contradiction in our world today. And so then we have the scientific aspect of it. I'll just take a minute to address that. Scientifically, and a a lot of pastors and teachers, they get into trouble by treading in scientific areas that they're not really trained in. So I'm going to be very careful not to do that and put that disclaimer. But really, there's a few views the way our world is looking at this today scientifically. Well, the traditional view is the gender binary, that sex and gender are fixed. This would be the traditional view that has been held for millennia. It's not just Christians who have believed this. Up until the last couple of decades, everybody believed this, without exception, the gender binary view. But but then there's a second category, and that is referred to as gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria. And if you look that up, you'll find that that is identified as a condition in which a person has a strong desire to change their gender. Now, please please look up these statistics on your own, but uh, based on what I have heard, this occurs and has occurred historically in a very small, less than 10% 
of the population has ever experienced this. But they do. there is 10% that experience gender dysphoria. It's a real thing. And we should be compassionate. The, 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 the harsh attitude that is, you know, I don't, I don't think I need to, to say that, but there is a, a, a branch of Christianity where people are just cruel to these types of individuals. It's totally wrong. Gender dysphoria is a real thing. Now, scientists will tell you, I believe, again, please double-check my statistics, do your own research, but I believe something like 80% of all cases usually disappear in adolescence or at puberty. So it resolves itself. And so now you're looking at a very small percentage of a very small percentage who really do experience this. And so those individuals I would encourage, as the Bible says, to express their lives in other ways. God says this is a disordered expression. So dedicate yourself to the kingdom of God. Our lives are not all about sex. Our lives are for the glory of God. There's a much higher calling. And there is the mod, rather than the modern gender non-binary view, which is a really, it's a very absurd view that says that your sex and gender can be two completely different things. And I don't, I say that as kindly and, and as understandingly as I can, but it really is an absurd view that's parading and masquerading itself in the name of science. It's just, even there are, there, are, there are doctors, there are pediatricians that have sounded the alarm against what's happening with our children. And as I heard recently someone say, we can only hope that in the next 10 to 15 years, because of, sadly, because of the damage done to many young people today, hopefully there will be a major backlash and a major outcry. In, in fact, some of what is being done, even some in the LGBTQ community are against what's, what's taking place in children's lives. So this is the, the more radical extreme view that's really uh, taking hold. Now the problem is, as Christians, the values have been flipped up. So for someone to give a presentation like this, you just know, you're, I'm trying to do this compassionately, rationally, with empathy, but you tell me how would maybe some of the people you work with respond to something to this conversation. What happens is the whole thing gets turned around as if we are the immoral ones. But the truth is this. The Bible calls us to speak the truth in love. The point here isn't for me to wave my Bible in people's faces and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. The point is for me to say to somebody, there's a better way. There's a better life. There's a better existence than what the world is pushing on you. There is hope in Christ. Even Yes, for those who struggle with homosexual feelings, for those who struggle with gender identity, the solution isn't therapy. The solution isn't, isn't this or that. The solution is find your fulfillment in Christ. Now, I don't have as much time as I'd like for this, this cultural thing, but Part of what I just explained is this idea of presuppositions. I need like another 30 minutes, and I have, I have like five. So you'll have to think through some of these things on your own. But people used to, our world used to have one view, and our view has changed. And basically, identity is the key issue. It used to be this. The view used to be that your identity was all caught up in your community. It could be your family. It could be your tribe. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, there was a time when 
you know, in just a few generations back, well, we're Italians, you know, and that's who we are. And you're going to, and this is the, this is your, your family, right? And you're going to live up to the reputation of your family. And people had a cultural identity that was handed to them. And they lived, their whole life was to honor that identity. Well, that brought a lot of pain into people's lives. Because all they're doing now is living out there. Is that a healthy thing, to, a healthy way to live? No, because you're living under the, under the expectations of other people. It's never healthy to live under the expectations of other people. But our culture has completely swapped it. And now the primary value in people's lives is individual autonomy. So there was a time when it was, so here's what happened. You are not going to define me. Now who's going to define me? I am going to define me. But what's the problem with that? I'm just as broken and flawed as they were. They're going to struggle to define me. But guess who else is going to struggle to define me? Me. My, but you know who can define me perfectly? The one who created me? The one who fashioned me in the womb? The one who knows everything about me? And listen, for those who struggle even with the truth of this message, they say, I just don't, I just, because it doesn't feel, I, 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 I feel this way, I was born this way. Listen, you have to have enough faith to believe that your creator knows you best. He loves you better than you can love yourself. His plan is best. The Christian message isn't we're right, you're wrong. The Christian message is this, it's God knows you best, and his way for you is best, his will for you is best. Paul says this in Galatians. Look at this. Look at the Christ identity in Galatians. Galatians 3.26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's an identity right there, wouldn't you say? That's the identity I received. It's not a gay, straight, male, female, this or that. Those aren't my identity. My identity is a born-again child of God by faith in Christ. Verse 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither. Now look at all these identity statements. There is neither bond, or Jew nor Greek. It's not an ethnic identity. There's neither bond nor free. It's not a socioeconomic identity. There is neither male nor female. Your primary identity is not even your gender. These all are secondary. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in who? In Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Listen, every single, every single believer, our primary identity is who we are in Christ. Everything else is secondary to that. Everything else is ordered under my identity in Christ. That's why it's okay. Listen, I want to tell you this. If you have struggled, if you have struggled with a same-sex attraction, gender identity, any of these things, it doesn't make you strange or weird. It makes you broken like all of us. It makes you sinful like all of us. 
And the truth is this, the only hope for any order and peace in our lives is not found in, and how do I identify here? It's found in knowing that you belong to Christ and then submitting your other identities to him. Submitting that to him. Say, Lord, I belong to you, and you say that this gender expression is wrong, so I'm going to trust that your will is good. You say that this sexual behavior is wrong. My primary identity is in you. I'm going to trust that your will is good. And that is thinking compassionately. You see, primarily as Christians, we're not called to be culture warriors. We're called to speak the truth in love. We're called to be loving truth tellers. There's this thing called the nice person effect. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but it goes like this. There are many Christians over the years, they've changed their view on issues like this. At one point they said, well, I believe that sex is for a man and a woman. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And they said it very strongly, very passionately. They believed it. But something changed in their life where they no longer believed that. Well, did the Bible change? No. But this happened, and you'll hear this story over and over again. But you know what? Then I met this really nice lesbian couple. And they were so nice. Wonderful, nicer than a lot of the Christians I know. How many of you have heard a story like this or had an experience like this? Okay. Tim Keller puts it this way. He said, well, you didn't repent of anything in that case except bigotry. In other words, did you expect? Do we not expect? Of course there are nice people. Of course there are good people. Of course there are neighborly people. We all, regardless of what, we, what sins we struggle with in our life, we all of creation has the remnant of the image of God left in us. You see, it's possible to believe the right thing for the wrong reason. It's possible to say, well, I am against this because I've always been against it. I'm against it because I just don't like it. Those are the people that are in most danger of leaving a biblical view. Christianity, it's not about niceness or kindness. You'll find that in, in all people. You can have, there, are wonder, I mean, some of the, there are wonderful, wonderful people in every religion, in every community, all over. Because the message of the gospel isn't, we need to be made more nice. The message of the gospel is, we are all sinners no matter how nice we are. We are all broken no matter how kind we are. And we all need the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's finish with this. The biggest thing we can do as Christians is show people the glory of Christ. Show people Jesus is better than premarital sex. Jesus is better than homosexual sex. Jesus is better than, than money. Jesus is better than any sin that you struggle with. Jesus is better. 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now look at this. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, 
lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's point people to Jesus. We don't make excuses for sin. We don't, we, we don't water down the truth. We proclaim it boldly but lovingly. But the point is this. People don't need to get their lives right. They need Jesus who will make their lives right. It's all about him. Get people to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the time that we had. Lord, I pray that that any who, who may even be here that have struggled with this or have a family member or a friend, Lord, I pray that they would see the compassion of Christ, the love of Christ. Lord, also the error of their ways. But help us all to find our greatest identity, our true purpose in knowing you and following you in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.